0: Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old-Time Radio Podcast. As uh, our regular listeners know, for some time now, we have been playing shows from our archives. We've been doing uh, old-time radio shows for, oh, I don't know, 12 or 13 years now, and so we have quite a backlog. And tonight, the show we're going to play for you was first broadcast on the 29th of February. So that was a leap year in 2016. And I do hope that you enjoy it.
1: It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon.
2: I
3: better get it out of the safe now. Let's go.
0: Chester is in Tales... He's got a tuxedo with tails, a white shirt, white tie, looking very elegant. He's going to an Oscar party tonight. We're recording this on Sunday, the 28th of February, and the Oscars are on tonight, and Chester is going to an Oscar party. So, you're looking good, Chester. Yeah, turn around. (laughs) Very, very smart. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we celebrate being baby boomers. But everybody's welcome. We uh, share some old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids. Like tonight, we've got an episode of Dragnet, we've got an *Armist Brooks, and we've got an episode of Gunsmoke. We remember those shows from when we were kids. We also share some music. We sometimes laugh. We sometimes cry. And uh, we just talk about things that uh, are interesting to us. So we're glad that you came along And everything's going to get started in 30 seconds from now. things off tonight with Dragnet from 1954. Now I have conflicting information on this uh, this episode. It's called The Big Confession. One source tells me it originally was broadcast on March the 30th another source tells me March the 20th. Let's just split the difference and say this one was first aired on March the 25th, 1954. <laughs> It's uh, really a pretty good episode. Uh, It's about a young man that walks into the police station by the name of Marcus. And he tells Friday and uh, Smith that he has killed a young girl that he just met the night before. He says he killed her after he found out that she'd been lying to him. Well, the plot thickens when the dead girl shows up. And she has a whole different story about the strange Mr. Marcus. This one features Herb Ellis, of course. uh, uh, Ben Alexander plays Frank Smith. So here we go. This one is The Confession, The Big Confession. And it was originally broadcast on Dragnet on NBC back in March of 1954. Here it comes.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been
5: changed to protect the innocent. Dragnets.
4: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. A young man walks into your office and tells you he has a problem. From the way he talks, you know it's serious. Your job, listen. (laughs) Listen.
6: It was Wednesday, September 8th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Warman. My name's Friday. I was on my way back to the office from R&I, and it was 10, 14 a.m.
7: when I got to room 42. Homicide. Pardon me, sir. Yes, sir. Are you a policeman? Yes, sir. That's right. What can I do for you? I want to talk to somebody. I'm not sure who, though. Well, if you tell me what it's all about, I might be able to help you. Well, I gotta be sure it's the right person. You can understand that, can't you? Yes, sir. My name's Paul Marcus. All right, Mr. Marcus, what is it you want to talk about? Do you work in there in the homicide department? That's right. You know all about murders then, huh? You want to come into the office and talk? No, no, I don't want to go in there, is there? Someplace else we can go? I'd like to talk to you alone. This is kind of a personal thing. All right, sir, come on down the hall, the interrogation room. Nobody else there? No. That's good, because like I told you, this is a personal matter. I need your advice. All right, sir, this way. This is the first time I've ever been in the police department feel kind of funny just walking in and talking personal things to a stranger. Yes, sir, I can understand. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Want to sit down right there? Thank you. All right, you want to tell me about it? You mind closing the door? All right. All right, now, what's your problem, Mr. Marcus? I, I told you it was personal. Yes, I know. I want to be sure I handle it right. I could get in a lot of trouble if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Been trying to figure out what to do about it for a week now and couldn't find the right answer. That's why I came here. You guys should know. All right. Now, if you'll just tell me what's bothering you, we might be able to do something for you. Uh huh. A whole week and no answer. I sure hope you've got it for me. I'm sorry, Mr. Marcus, but if you don't tell me what this is all about, there's nothing we can do. Well, it's nothing big, just a personal problem. I just want to know how to handle it. All right, go ahead. I killed a woman.
6: 10, 18 a.m. We got the name of the woman Paul Marcus said that he'd murdered. We also obtained a description of the victim, and Frank went down the hall to missing persons to see if a report
7: had been filed on her. I waited with the suspect. It's a personal problem. You know how to handle it. I wasn't sure. That's why I came to you. All right, where did you meet this Lorraine Farrell? San Francisco. How long ago? A couple of weeks. I just knew her a little while before it happened. Just a couple of weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. Fisherman's Wharf. What's that? Fisherman's Wharf. That's where I met her in San Francisco. I I was on a vacation. Two weeks with pay, and I went to San Francisco, Fisherman's Wharf. That's where I met Lorraine. All right, go ahead. Well, I was down there sitting on the dock looking at the boats, just sitting there eating prawns. You know how they cook them in those great big pots? Yeah. Well, I was just sitting there eating prawns, and I met her. Well, where'd you kill her? Look, you got to let me tell this in my own way, or I'm not going to tell you at all. It's got to be right so you'll understand. Now, if you don't get it right, the whole thing's gone wrong. You see, it's a real personal thing. All right, sir, go ahead. Well, I was just sitting there eating prawns, eating them, and throwing the little tail pieces down in the water. You know how you do. Mm Mm-hmm. Watching them kind of float around. Kind of all of a sudden, she was right there sitting just alongside of me. You ever see her before? I never laid eyes on her till then. All right, go ahead. Well, We both sat there for a minute, and then we started to talk. Just little things like nice weather and how long you've been in San Francisco. Things like that. You know how you do. How old did you say the feral woman was? Nineteen. Turned 19 the 5th of August. All right. She was born there, you know, in San Francisco. She told me about it when we were talking. How she was born there and grew up there. Yeah. Told me all about the school she went to, how she used to play on Strawberry Island in Stow Lake. You ever been there? Yes, sir. It's kind of a beautiful place, you know. They got those rowboats and you paddle around the lake and right in the middle is this island, Strawberry Island. There's all those swans that swim around. You can feed them. Real beautiful Strawberry Island. Tell me something, Marcus. You ever been in the hospital? Huh? You ever had any mental care? Been under the supervision of a psychiatrist, maybe? You think I'm crazy, don't you? No, I'll just ask you a question. Oh, well, I'm not. I've never been to a doctor. I'm telling you the truth. You'll see. All right. You want to go ahead? I guess you get a lot of crackpots in here telling you all kinds of phony stories, huh? The doors are wide open all night. I guess you get a lot of them. But I'm not a crackpot. I'm telling you the truth. I did kill her. But it's important you know why I did it. I got to tell you the right way. If I don't, none of it's going to be any good. When would you kill her? September 1st. That's the day we left. September 1st. That'd be a week ago today, huh? Yeah, September 1st. Joe? Yeah. See you a minute. All right. Just a minute, Marcus. Mm Mm-hmm.
6: What do you got? Well, I checked missing persons. Yeah. I got a report on a girl, same name, description matches. When she disappeared? September 1st. Well, that fits in with what he told us. Yeah, but there's something that doesn't. What's that? She's 16 years old. Each year, there are hundreds of citizens who walk into the nearest police station and confess to some sort of crime. Some have actually happened. Others have occurred only in the mind of the person confessing. No matter how wild the confession, how implausible the details of the crime, each report has to be checked out. To doctors, such cases are clinical, but to the working detective, they're the cause of a lot of legwork and a great deal of checking. They cost the taxpayer untold man hours in investigating time, and many times result in nothing. Because of his attitude and his reluctance to give us the complete story all at once, it appeared that Paul Marcus might be one of these people. The fact that he named a girl who was missing meant little since it was possible for him to have read the story in a newspaper. The only way we had of being sure was to continue the interrogation.
7: 10.34 a.m. She told me she wanted to get away from home. That's what she told me, how it was rough for her there, and she wanted to get away. Mm Mm-hmm. That's when you said you'd bring her down here, is that right? Oh, no, I didn't even suggest it. The whole thing was her idea. She brought it up? Yes. You see, after that first day on Fisherman's Wharf, I saw her several times almost every day. We'd meet someplace and talk. Where would you meet her? Well, sometimes in one of the hotel bars, once we met out at the Steinhardt Aquarium. We met on the rotunda there. You know where they have the big pool and all the alligators swimming around? You know where? Mm-hmm. Well, we met there once, and we walked over to the place where they have the band concerts right across the way where the band plays, only they weren't there that day. Wasn't anybody there, just Lorraine and me. We sat on the benches and talked. That's when she said she wanted to go with me. To Los Angeles, huh? Yeah. That's where I was going, and she wanted me to take her. She came right out and asked you, Sure. There told me how it was hard for her at home and she wanted to get away. She told me she had friends here, said she could stay with them until she got things straightened out. You know, get a job and a place of her own. Mm -hmm. Well, she was going to do that, get a place of her own and a job, and then she'd be all right. Did you ever meet her parents? No, I never went to the house. She told me where it was, though, someplace out by the Twin Peaks Tunnel. I didn't know where exactly. She didn't want me to go out there. Said it would only cause her more trouble. That's why I'd meet her in town. Did you ever meet any of her friends up in San Francisco? Yeah, just once we were in a drugstore on Market Street having a sandwich. We were just sitting there, and she was telling me how it was bad for her at home, and a girl came in. It looked like she was a schoolgirl. You know how I mean, young? Mm-hmm. Well, she came in and talked to Lorraine, then they went over to the phone booths and talked. You didn't actually meet the girl? No, no. Lorraine said if I did, the girl might say something to Lorraine's parents, and that would cause trouble. You know this girl's name? I think it was Grace. I- I'm not sure, but I think it was Grace. When would you leave San Francisco? Wednesday morning, September 1st. I want to get back in time to get some rest before I had to go to work. You know, my vacation was up and I had to go back to work. Where'd you pick up the girl? Wasn't a pickup. I was sitting on Fisherman's Wharf eating prawns and looking at the boats and we started to talk. Wasn't a pickup. We just got friendly. No, Marcus. He means that where'd you pick up the girl when you left for Los Angeles? Oh, I thought you met when I met her the first time. That's what I thought. Uh Uh-huh. I met her out at the tunnel. Where's that? Well, you know where Castro Street runs into Market, where the L car comes in from the beach? That's where I met her. She came from home, had her suitcase and all, and she came out on the L car. All right, go ahead. Well, she got off the streetcar, got into my car, and we left for Los Angeles. Where'd you kill her? I told you before, if I don't tell it my way, it isn't going to work. You're not going to understand. It's got to be my way. All right, go ahead, Mike. Well, it was a beautiful day, just the kind of a day you want when you're going on a drive. You know how I mean, clear and the sun shining. Yeah. Well, that's what kind of a day it was. Uh-huh. You could see all across the bay over to Berkeley and way up north. was real clear. You want to go ahead with your story? Mr. Friday? Mm-hmm. My way? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. All right. We drove all day, stopped for lunch at a place near San Luis Obispo, a little lunch stand there. Had a French dip sandwich. It was one of the best I ever had. The meat was real lean, and they didn't sop up the bun with the gravy. Just the right amount. One of the best I ever ate. Mm-hmm. Lorraine liked them, too. She didn't like the bread all sopped up with gravy. Go ahead. What happened after you had lunch? We left there and drove on. We got down to around Malibu. I guess it was really before that where the divided highway is up the coast. You know where the cliffs are? Yeah, we know. Well, we stopped. She was such a beautiful night. I just wanted to sit there and look at the ocean. People don't take time anymore. And what happened then? We just sat there, had a cigarette and talked. That's when I told her. First time I ever said it. What was that? It's funny. I guess most fellas say it a lot. You know how I mean to a bunch of girls that never mean it. Go ahead. I told her first time I said I loved her, and I told her that she didn't have to get a job, that I wanted to marry her and get her a house and all, and she wouldn't have no more trouble at home, how she'd have her own home and everything would be all right. I told her all that. Yeah. And that's when I knew, right then. You could divide the second in a million parts, and in one of them, one of the parts, I knew I had to do it. Kill her? Yeah. Hmm. You see, she didn't tell me the real reason. She lied to me, and I knew I had to do it, so she wouldn't lie to anyone else. You can understand that. You can see why I had to do it. Well, maybe you better tell us. Well, it was all a lie, all about the family being mean to her. All that was a lie. She just wanted to get to Los Angeles because she wanted to meet some other fella here. That's why. She lied about the family, and that's why she did it. So you see, I had to kill her. I had to. How'd you kill her? Huh? I say, how did you kill her? We got out of the car and walked over to the cliffs. We could see right down to the ocean. We just stood there. I just hit her. She fell down. It was quiet. So I pushed her over into the water. Mm Mm-hmm. What'd you do then, Marcus? I got in the car and drove home. You just left her there, huh? Certainly. There wasn't anything I could do for her. You point out the place where all this happened? Oh, well, sure. It's up the coast where the highway's divided, north of Malibu. It's real easy to find. Anybody else around? You mean when I hit her? That's right. No, we were all alone. I didn't see anybody, just the two of us. All right, Marcus, you willing to give us a statement on all this? You mean what I just told you? Yeah. Well, sure. You want me to tell all about it again? We'll call in a stenographer. So you can write it down, huh? That's the idea. Well, sure, I'll tell her. Tell me something, Marcus. When would you get out of the hospital? I told you before, I was never in one. You guys sure make it tough, don't you? What's that? I came in here because I wanted to tell you about Lorraine. I wanted you to know so you wouldn't think it was my fault, that's all. So you wouldn't think it was my fault, and now you don't believe me. You think I'm just another crackpot trying to sell a phony story. You guys sure make it tough. We gotta be sure. Well, I'm telling you the truth. I want you to believe me. Yeah. I want you to believe me.
6: Yeah, we're beginning to. A statement was taken from the suspect and he was booked in at the main jail on a charge of suspicion of violation of Section 187 PC, murdered. We sent a teletype to San Francisco and we contacted Inspectors Ed Van Der Voort and John O'Hare of Homicide Detail. We filled them in and asked that they check out the suspect's story on their end. We also asked that they send us all available information on the missing girl and that they check with her family and try to get a list of any known associates that she might have had in the Los Angeles area. Frank and I checked out of the office at 7.48 p.m. and we went home for the night. The following morning at 9.23 a.m., Inspector Vandervoort from San Francisco called back. Uh-huh. Yeah. When was that, Ed? Wait a minute. All right. Yeah, I got it. How about friends down here? I say, how about friends down here? Mm Hmm. Oh, I see. Well, it should be here this afternoon, then. Right. Yeah, we'll check them out. No, no, that's on the way. We put it in the mail for you last... Well, you should have it by now, then. Okay, right. Right, Ed, thanks very much. We'll be checking with you. Right. Bye. How about it? Well, they checked the family and the friends, the place where Marcus said he stayed up there. Yeah. Marcus' story checks out all the way. In the phone conversation, we learned that all of Lorraine Farrell's friends and relatives had been interviewed And their stories checked with the one given us by the suspect, Marcus The girl and Paul Marcus had been seen together in the Bay City The desk clerk at the hotel where the suspect had stayed verified the date that he'd checked out It was the same day Lorraine Farrell disappeared the officers in San Francisco were able to contact the girl the suspect had referred to as Grace. She recalled seeing a man answering Marcus' description with a missing feral girl. Frank and I spent the rest of the day checking on the suspect. We talked to the people he worked with. They described Marcus as being moody and withdrawn. We talked with his landlady. Her description of the suspect's attitude was the same that we'd gotten before. We thoroughly searched Marcus's apartment, and in a desk drawer, we found a loose-leaf notebook with several pages of penciled notes describing the trip that he'd taken up to San Francisco. On one of the pages, at the back of the book, we found a lengthy letter to a Lorraine, in which Marcus apologized to the girl for killing her, but he went on to explain that he had no choice. We booked this evidence. The following morning, Friday, September 10th, Frank and I drove down to the beach, and we talked to the people in the vicinity where the suspect said the murder had occurred. We found an elderly couple who lived in a trailer on the beach. They recalled having seen two people answering the description of the suspect and the missing girl on the night that the murder occurred. We drove back to the main jail and we signed out, Marcus. We took him down to the car and we drove him out to the beach. We turned up the highway and told him to let us know when we came to the place where he'd killed the feral girl.
7: You sure you know where the place is, Marcus? Yeah, I remember. It's just up the road a little bit. Just keep right on going. You'll find it. Mm-hmm you see it now. There's kind of a parking place and a couple of trees. Eucalyptus, I think. There's two of them on the side of the parking place. You can't miss them. It's right ahead there on the left. There, you see? Yeah.
6: I'm going to pull in Frank. Okay.
7: Just look at all those cars. Everybody's in such a hurry, they never see anything. Just like they had blinders on. You sure this is the place? I told you, didn't I? No reason to say a thing like that if it wasn't true. Just pull right in there. That's it, right over there. Well, right here is where I parked when it happened. Maybe over there a little bit more, but... Oh, right about here. And the two of you just sat here for a few minutes, is not it? Yeah. We just sat here and had a cigarette, and then we got out of the car and walked over to the edge of the cliff. All right, come on. Show us. Sure. So you'll believe me, I'll show you. Now, well, we stood right over there. Right there, and I told her I was in love with her and wanted to marry her. Now, you stay here. Just point out where you were. You think I might try to jump off, don't you? That's what you think, isn't it? You just show us, huh? I wouldn't do that. There's no reason to. I don't know why you wouldn't agree that I had to do it. I didn't have any other way to do it. Where were you when you hit her? Right there. Near that clump of grass. We stood there and looked down at the ocean, and she told me about this other guy. That's when I hit her. She fell down right about, well, right about there. Uh-huh. And where'd you push her off the cliff? There. Right where I hit her. She was just lying there. I guess she hit her head on something, and she was real quiet. I just rolled her over the edge. It was right there. There, you see where the rocks are kind of worn? Go and take a look. Yeah. No, you wait here. Gee, if I'd have known it was going to be this hard to get it straightened out, I don't think I'd have started the thing. When am I going to get out of jail? That isn't up to us. Well, then I want to talk to the people who it's up to. I got to tell them about Lorraine, how she lied to me and why I had to kill her. As soon as they hear the story, they'll understand. They got to realize that there wasn't any other way. How's it look?
6: Well, I found this caught in a branch just over the edge. Yeah, it's a girl's handkerchief. Read the name on it. Yeah, Moraine. Friday, September 10th, 3.46 p.m. We contacted the crime lab and asked them to come out and go over the scene. Officers stood by so that any physical evidence would not be disturbed until Lieutenant Lee Jones and his men had an opportunity to go over it. Frank and I, along with the suspect, drove back to town where we made arrangements with the city lifeguard service to search for the body. The following morning, a boat equipped with diving gear left Santa Monica Harbor and took a course north. Experienced deep-sea divers searched the crevices in the rocks beneath the cliffs. All of the sea bordering the vicinity was gone over. There was no trace of a body. The shoreline on either side of the murder spot was checked. Still no trace of the missing girl. In the meantime, two additional teams of men were assigned to check out the friends of Lorraine Farrell. They carried pictures of Paul Marcus and attempted to dig out any information on the suspect and the missing girl. 6.42
7: p.m., Sunday. We called the main jail and asked that the suspect be brought to the city hall for additional questioning. I had a reason to do what I did, a good reason. Now, you let me talk to the responsible people around here, and I'll have them tell you. I'm getting a little tired of being shoved around. You just bring in the boss and let me talk to him.
6: What day did you say that you left San Francisco? September 1st.
7: I thought it was the 2nd. The 1st?
6: You said you left in the
7: afternoon, is that right? In the morning, and you remember it. I don't know what all these questions are for. I told you I killed Lorraine. I walked in here and told you there's no reason for all this McGillis. Just no reason. Where'd you hide the body? I didn't hide it. Well, and where is it? I told you, I put her in the ocean. We haven't been able to find her. Well, then you're not looking good. I told you the truth all along the line, I've told you, you the sure truth. you sure you didn't make a mistake about where all this happened? Not a chance in the world. Right there by the parking place where the two trees are. Well, maybe you just thought you left her there. I know it. Had you been drinking when you killed her? No. We stopped and had a couple of beers on the way. Just a couple, not enough to get drunk. But you did have something to drink. Well, sure, but not enough to get drunk on. How many beers you have? Two, maybe three. All right, which was it? Two or three. Well, what difference does it make? Were you drunk? No. How about the girl? Was she drunk? No. You sure about that? Yes, yes, I'm sure. What are you trying to do? What difference does it make? Maybe we did have more than a couple, but what difference does it make? Just trying to get things straight. We we want to be sure we got the right story.
8: Well, you have.
7: right. How
6: about a cigarette, huh?
7: Yeah, thanks Frank Yeah, thanks Here, I got a match Hey, wait a minute Don't light his, too That's bad What do you mean? Three on a match It's bad It is, huh? Well, sure, you never do that Here Thanks You got right home After you killed the Farrell girl, huh? Yeah I drove right down the highway And went home Traffic was kind of heavy I thought about it, all those people all hurrying around, not taking any time. Anybody see you when you came home? What do you mean? Well, anybody see you park the car, go into your apartment? Well, no, there wasn't anybody around. Now, you said when you met the girl up in San Francisco that she had a suitcase with her, is that right? Yeah, she did. Artificial leather with, uh, with real leather binding. And where is it now? Huh? What'd you do with her suitcase? Well, I don't know. I don't remember it. We couldn't find it in your room. Well, you didn't have no right to go through my room, no right at all. We didn't find a suitcase. Where is it? Well, I don't know. Did you put it with a body? Well, I might have. Where? I don't know. I don't remember. I hit her. She lied to me, and I hit her. Then I pushed her into the ocean. That's all I know. And that's all I'm going to
5: tell you. Joe, see you a minute.
6: Yeah, sure. What do you got, Al? We found the girl. Where? She's sitting in the squad room. Frank stayed with the suspect in the interrogation room, and I went with Sergeant Al Levis up to the office. Sitting at one of the tables was a small girl with jet black hair. As we came into the room, she was putting on lipstick. She glanced over at us, and then she went back to what she was doing. There wasn't any doubt about it. The girl in the squad room was Lorraine Farrell. She dyed her hair, and she had on a lot of makeup, but it was the missing girl. Joe, this is Miss Farrell, Joe Friday. How do you do? Hi. Where'd you find her, Al? Friend up in Eagle Rock. Says she's been there for a week. Hmm. Thanks, Al. Right. You seen the papers lately, Miss Farrell?
9: Yeah, I read the funnies.
6: You ought to read the front page. You've been on them. All right? Mm Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of policemen out looking for you.
9: They probably needed the exercise anyway.
6: There's a man down the hall who thinks that he killed you.
9: That creep, Paul?
6: Yeah, Paul Marcus. That's his name.
9: Real creep. I was glad to get away from him. Oh, gosh, he tried to give me about our home. What a baloney. He's a real creep. You ought to keep an eye on him. He's going to wig one of these days. Is that so? Yeah. He drove me down here, and when I told him I didn't want to have anything to do with him, he got real sore. Started yelling. Creep.
6: Where'd all this happen, miss?
9: Oh, out by Malibu. Road out there. He stopped the car and gave me all the stuff about wanting to marry me. I was in love with me. Big deal. Said I was the first girl I ever said that to. Big deal. What happened then? I told him I didn't want no part of him. Told him to get lost. Thanked him for the ride and told him to get lost. He flipped. Bad, he flipped. I took off, got a ride, came into the town. I got this girlfriend in Eagle Rock. I've been out there. You ought to watch that guy, though.
6: Mm-hmm. How old did you tell him that you were?
9: I don't know. Forget. I think 19, something like that. I forget. Mm-hmm. He confessed to killing me, huh?
6: That's right.
9: Flipped. He's a wig.
6: Let's take a walk, huh? Where? Come on.
9: Sure. I've got nothing to lose. Uh, can you guys drive me back to Eagle Rock tonight? i got a date. i got to be back pretty quick.
6: You're not going to go back to Eagle Rock.
9: Who says so? We're
6: going to have to hold you.
9: For what? I haven't done anything. Well,
6: you're a minor. We've got a missing report filed on you. Your folks are pretty worried.
9: Uh, They're always worrying about something. There ain't nothing for them to worry about, then they worry about that.
6: Well, it doesn't make any difference. We're going to have to hold you.
9: You just try it, cop. You just try it. You'll find out you got more trouble than you came in one lump. Uh Uh-huh.
6: In here.
7: This is Lorraine Farrell, Officer Smith. Hello. Lorraine.
9: Hi, creep.
7: I, I didn't mean to do it. You know that. I didn't really mean to do it, but there wasn't any other way.
9: What's plan? You know what he's talking about?
7: He thinks he killed you. Wait. I didn't think I'd ever see you again. I didn't think I would. But I want you to know one thing, Lorraine. What's that? I forgive you for lying.
9: I told you it happened. Yeah. Come on. Where to?
7: We'll take you to the office and call a policewoman.
9: Then to the can, huh?
7: To juvenile hall. Come on, let's go. I'll take her job, Brian. Bye, Paul. Bye, Lorraine. I'm not mad at you anymore.
9: You know, I was worried.
7: <coughs> Sergeant? Yeah. I want you to know how I appreciate it. Yeah, what's that? What you tried to do, I think, was real fine, thanks. I don't know what you mean. You didn't fool me a bit. What? I know I killed her. <laughs>
5: story you've just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On October 4th, the hearing was held in Department 98, Superior Court, State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that hearing. Paul Nelson Marcus was held to answer a charge of violation of Section 701 WIC, contributing to the delinquency of a minor. After due deliberation, he was placed on probation and delivered into the hands of a competent psychiatrist. Lorraine Jean Farrell was returned to the custody of her parents. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Fraser. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Herb Ellis. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking.
4: Watch an entirely different Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles.
7: Hear Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune, following John Cameron Swayze and the news on the NBC Radio Network.
0: From March 1954... That was Dragnet. The name of that one was The Big Confession. Did you notice in the beginning that uh, Joe Friday said, I think he said it's, it was September something, and it was cold in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, people in life, having grown up out there, they think cold is anything below like 65 degrees. And I can remember my mother and particularly my grandmother, lots, lots of people actually that would turn on their furnace uh, in the winter time. you know, when it was like 70 degrees because it got cold at night. Now I will say this in Long Beach, it did get damp at night. And if you were outside, you definitely needed a jacket, but that's cool. You know, I think today the high in St. Louis was probably about 65. This is a cool day. Nobody described this as a cold day. In the basin, in the LA basin, it very rarely would get into the 30s. Most evenings in a winter time are going to be 45 degrees, something in there. So, yeah, really cold, Joe. Really cold. All right, let's take a little musical break here. Hey, do you remember back in the late 50s? in the early 60s, back that era we're always talking about, how uh, some of the popular music was actually sort of like religious songs. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. These both were pretty big hits, and I bought them both, not really realizing until after I was an adult what these songs were all about. Kind of interesting. I wonder if they could uh, do this today. Take a listen.
10: Well, now, everybody's gonna have religion and glory, everybody's gonna be singing that story, everybody's gonna have a wonderful time up there, oh, glory, hallelujah, brother, there's a reckoning to coming in the morning, better get ready cause I'm giving you the warning, everybody's gonna have a wonderful time up there. Now listen everybody cause I'm talking to you The Lord is the only one to carry you through You better get ready cause I'm telling you why The Lord is coming from his throne on high Going down the valley, going one by one We're going to be rewarded for the things we've done How are you going to feel about the things you'll say On that judgment day Well, 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 everybody's going to have religion and glory Everybody's going to be singing that story Everybody's going to have a wonderful time up there Oh, glory, hallelujah Brother, there's a reckoning and a coming in the morning Better get ready, cause I'm giving you the warning Everybody's going to have a wonderful Time up there now you get your Holy Bible in the back of the book. The book of Revelations is the place you look. If you understand it, and you can if you try, the Lord is a-coming from his throne on high. A-reading in the Bible on the things he said. He said he's coming back again to raise the dead. Are you gonna be among the chosen few, or will you make it through? Well, 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 Everybody's gonna have religion and glory. Everybody's gonna be singing that story. Everybody's gonna have a wonderful time up there. Oh, glory, hallelujah. Brother there's a reckoning to come in the morning better get ready cause i'm giving you the warning everybody's gonna have a wonderful time up there well oh 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 everybody's gonna have religion and glory everybody's gonna be singing that story everybody's gonna have a wonderful time up there oh glory hallelujah brother there's a reckoning to come in the morning better get ready cause i'm giving you the warning everybody's gonna have a wonderful time up there
0: Pat Boone. And, and I bought that record when I was a kid, and I never even realized. I, I used to actually know the lyrics, but I never realized until much later on that this was like a, like a gospel song, right? And yet it was a pretty big hit, big enough that I heard it on the radio all the time and went out and bought it. Here's another one that is religious in nature, and it's actually based on an old um, song from the South, a slave song that was first noted down around the islands off of the Carolinas by some anthropologists or music collectors or whatever. But again, when this was recorded in the early 60s, it became a big hit.
11: Sales. Hallelujah, sister, help to trim the sails.
12: wine.
11: Hallelujah. Milk and
13: honey on the other side.
0: So there you have just a couple of examples of some of the songs from uh, the late 50s, early 60s that actually were religious in nature, that became major bestsellers on the pop charts. That was Wonderful Time Up There by uh, Pat Boone and Michael Rode the Boat Ashore by uh, The Highwayman. All right, I think I'm ready for a little comedy. How about you?
10: Something
3: familiar,
4: something peculiar,
10: something
14: for everyone, a comedy tonight, something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone,
11: a comedy tonight, nothing with kings, nothing with clowns, bring on the lovers, liars,
2: and clowns,
3: Situation,
2: no complications,
14: nothing potent or polite. Ready tomorrow,
2: Tomorrow.
0: coming tonight. Well, okay, coming up now, we have an episode of Our Miss Brooks, which was um, a show I really enjoyed on television when I was a kid. The radio show first premiered in. um, July of 1948. It ran through 1957. It ran on CBS the whole time it was sponsored by Colgate Palmolive. The show featured Eve Arden as Connie Brooks, Gail Gordon as Mr. Conklin, the school principal at Madison High School. Mr. Boynton, the biology teacher, was played on radio by Jeff Chandler, then later on television by Robert Rockwell. Jeff Chandler uh, died very young. He was only 43 years old. As a kid, I remember him in a lot of Western movies, and uh, he always scared me. He had a scary look about him. Now, I I understand a lot of women thought he was extremely good-looking, but, ooh, I don't know. He just kind of spooked me, and he looked like maybe he was part Native American, or he had a very exotic look to him. Where do you think he was born? He was born in 1918, born in Brooklyn. He's a Brooklyn boy, Uh, and he died... uh, in 1961, like I said, he was only 43 years old. He died uh, either in surgery or directly after surgery. He was having a herniated disc uh, surgically repaired. That really sad. Walter Denton was played by Richard Crenna, who, of course, went on to have an outstanding motion picture career. And he always played a strong character in the movies. And yet, on radio, as a youth, he, he always used that um, that great Walter Denton voice. Uh, Mrs. Davis was played by Jane Morgan, and the show was produced by Larry Burns. It was written and directed by Al Lewis, and the music, once again, was by Wilbur Hatch. The announcer was Bob Lamond. The episode we're going to hear tonight is entitled The Faculty Dance. And, of course, once again, it has to do with uh, uh, our Miss Brooks pursuing uh, Mr. Boynton. And uh, in this case, tonight, she's got a little competition from one of her fellow English teachers. Hope you enjoy this one. Here it comes, Our Miss Brooks and the Faculty Dance. This one originally aired March the 6th, 1949.
15: Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, is as sociable as the next teacher especially if the next teacher happens to be Mr. Philip Boynton. But unfortunately, Mr. Boynton, who teaches biology at Madison, is a a rather shy individual.
16: Yes, indeed. For a fellow who spends so much time studying life, he certainly manages to get very little on him. (laughs) Of course, there are rumors around the school that I'm that way about Mr. Boynton. Now, I don't know exactly what that way means... But if feeling that way means feeling this way, then I guess I'm that way about Mr. Walter.
2: <laughs>
16: anyway, last week he accepted my invitation to invite me to the faculty dance Saturday night. And so bright and early Saturday morning, I asked one of my pupils, Walter Denton, to drive me down to the beauty parlor in his jalopy. Unlike the new Hudson, Walter's car isn't one you step down into. His car, most people back away from. It's a very streamlined little job. No windows, no top, and no windshield. All in all, it's the coldest hot rod in town.
17: If it's too cool for you, Miss Brooks, I can put up the top. The top?
16: Where is that? In the back, on the floor. No, thanks, Walter. It doesn't matter how my hair looks now. Antoine will change me into something believable. I appreciate your giving me this lift today, Walter. Oh, it's a pleasure, Miss Brooks. A pleasure
17: and a privilege, because I'm so fond of you both as a person and a teacher. You know, that's one thing about Madison High. They sure got some wonderful teachers. Now, take Mr. Boynton. Granted. He sure is tops. I ran into him the other night at the movies. Incidentally, he was with another member of the faculty, Miss Enright. Please, Walter, not so soon after breakfast.
2: (laughs) Oh, I
17: forgot. You and Miss Enright aren't exactly stuck on each other. That, Walter, is an understatement. Now, let's just forget about her, shall we? Sure, I'll be happy to forget about her. I never think about her
16: much anyway. Fine. Walter? Yeah? Was she sitting close to Mr. Boynton? (laughs) Who? Who? The lady we decided to forget about
17: Well, I can practically give you a blow-by-blow Because I sat right behind him in the movie And what's your report, G2? (laughs) Nothing Nothing? They were so dull, I spent half my time watching the picture You should have asked for your money back Of course, she did whisper a couple of things into his ear But I couldn't hear what they were very well She has a funny way of purring when she talks
16: There's nothing funny about it To her, purring comes naturally
17: (laughs) Of course, she tried to hold Mr. Boynton's hand once or twice But she didn't quite make it Why not? Most of the time, he had it in a bag of popcorn
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would
16: serve her right if she got salt all over her manicure Here's the beauty parlor, Walter uh, would it be convenient for you to pick me up in a couple of little hours? Oh,
17: sure, sure. I got to get a haircut anyhow, and I usually go to Barney's Barber Shop right down the street. I
16: was thinking of getting a butch haircut this time. Well, from what I've seen of the kids who get their hair cut at Barney's, he can butch up any kind of a haircut. <laughs> Hello, Antoine.
14: Well, if it isn't Miss Brooks, a long time no see, like the man says. What man? Oh, there you go. You're not in my shop two minutes, and you're pulling my leg. But I don't care. I'm delighted to see you at any time. You're such a challenge to a beautician.
2: (laughs) Challenge? Yes, you
14: see, you come into my shop so infrequently, I have to start from scratch each time. (laughs) Of course, you do have a load of natural beauty. Thanks, loads. (laughs) But then so does a rosebush. And even it, with all its natural loveliness, must be properly and frequently cared for in order to retain that beauty. Its soil must be irrigated, its roots watered, its leafy branches gently sprinkled.
16: Well, don't stand there. Turn the hose on me. (laughs) Uh,
14: Before I assign you to a booth, uh, tell me, Miss Brooks, what prompted you to come in this morning?
16: Oh, it's very simple, Antoine. There's a faculty dance at Madison High tonight, and I thought it would be nice to look like a human being. All
14: the big jobs they bring to Antoine
2: (laughs) Well, no matter
14: It's a feeble artist indeed Who cannot rise above his subject I shall make you my masterpiece All I ask in return Is that you promise to visit Antoine's once a week
16: Aren't you forgetting something? I'm a schoolteacher you know, it isn't an accident that we of the faculty have a faculty for always looking like the faculty. <laughs> Beauty parlors are a luxury we can rarely afford. Well, apparently that doesn't
14: apply to all teachers. One of my best customers is a teacher. In fact, she has an appointment here in a few minutes. Uh, uh, Miss Enright, uh, do you know her?
16: Yes, we both teach English at
14: Madison. Oh, then you and Miss Enright have something in common.
16: I suppose you could call in that, yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: Oh, she's
14: a wonderful person. Very active in the parent-teachers association and in all sorts of civic functions. What do you think of her? She's fine. Good teacher. Confidentially, I don't like her either. (laughs) And even though I should be grateful for the new customers I get through her connections, I can't help feeling that she's very overbearing. That's my honest opinion, and when it comes to people, I believe that honesty is the best policy.
18: Well, here I am, Antoine.
14: Miss Enright, how wonderful to see
16: you. Your <laughs> policy just lapsed. <laughs>
2: Why,
18: Miss
16: Brooks, what are you doing in a beauty parlor? Oh, I just thought I'd let Antoine do a little lily
18: gilding.
14: I haven't started yet. I'm going to make Miss Brooks look like a thing of beauty.
18: Is there time? <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is sad.
18: No, we have to be back at school by Monday. Oh, I'll
16: make it. Antoine's going to put more men on the job.
2: (laughs) Well, uh,
14: if you'll excuse me for a moment, I'll arrange booth three
16: for you, Miss
18: Antoine. Oh, do that, Antoine. Uh, Miss Brooks, now that we're alone, there's something I think you should know.
16: That you were at the movies with Mr. Boynton last
18: night? Well, how did you... Were you there, too? No, just my emissary. (laughs) I must admit, Miss Brooks, I thought you'd be a little more upset about it.
16: Upset? Me? Because Mr. Boynton chooses to go out with another English teacher? Of course I'm not upset. In fact, I had quite a laugh over it. A laugh? I thought I'd split my infinitive. (laughs) (laughs) You see, I happen to know that Mr. Boynton once heard the expression, let's live a little. Yes? So that's what he does. He lives as little as possible. No,
18: I'm not worried about what Mr. Boynton does when he's not with me. Look, Miss Brooks, I like to do things in an open and above-board manner. I'm going to lay my cards on the table. Good. Take them out of your sleeve and deal. What's the first card? Just this. I know you've booked Mr. Boynton for the faculty dance tonight, but remember, there's always tomorrow, and I don't give up easily.
16: Well, good for you, salty nails.
2: <laughs>
18: Don't underestimate me, my dear. The next time Mr. Boynton and I walk down a middle aisle, it may not be in a theater.
16: Be sure to invite me to the wedding. And Miss Enright, if you ever become a mother, remember I'd love one of the kittens. <laughs>
2: I'm
14: ready
18: for you
16: now, Miss Enright? Yes,
18: coming, Antoine. I'll see you and Mr. Boynton at the dance, Miss Brooks.
16: I'll be looking forward to it with considerable revulsion.
18: (laughs) Oh, oh, three, here it
14: is. Sit right down here, Miss Henry.
18: Antoine, before you do anything for me, I want you to take care of Miss Brooks.
14: But your appointment... I'll
18: wait. There's a certain way I want you to take care of Miss Brooks. First of all, I want you to comb her hair up in back and give her bangs in front.
14: But that wouldn't suit her face at all.
18: Exactly. Then I want you to be sure and see that she's got pounds of makeup on. Plenty of rouge, eyeshadow, everything.
14: But she won't like that. Neither
18: will Mr. Boynton. I know the type. And whatever you do, don't let Miss Brooks look into a mirror. Tell her, uh, tell her to wait for her first reaction from a member of the opposite sex.
14: But Miss Enright, suppose she doesn't want me to... She'll
18: agree to anything you suggest. She knows you're an expert beautician.
14: Well, then how can I betray her faith in me? I'd feel like a traitor a despicable traitor
18: antoine dozens of women patronize this shop at my suggestion and at my suggestion they go elsewhere now are you going to give miss brooks the works or not
14: well benedict arnold made a nice living for years <laughs> We are all finished. Remember now, no mirrors, Miss Brooks.
19: All
16: right, Antoine, if you say so. I'll leave it up to the public. Oh, there's Walter, parked as usual, right in front of a fire plug.
17: Well, here I am. Let's go. Uh, Sorry, lady, I'm waiting for Miss Brooks. Take another look, Walter. It's me. Holy cow, get in quick. I'll take you to the receiving hospital. (laughs) Or better yet, I'll give you first aid. I'm the Red Cross chairman of our class, you know. Why do I need first aid? Your mouth, it's all cut.
16: Oh, you're just not used to seeing me with lipstick on. Start the car, Walter. I didn't intend to take so long. Mrs. Davis will be wondering what happened to me. When she sees you, she'll still be wondering.
17: (laughs) Gosh, that hair comb. Those bangs. What's wrong with these bangs? Are they too long? Well, In all the time you've known me, Miss Brooks, have I ever consciously been fresh or tried to hurt your feelings? No, Walter, never Then I can answer your question honestly They're not long enough They're frustrating, Miss Brooks (laughs) What are you talking about, Walter? Well, they start out all right, but just when they really get going, boom, they
16: stop (laughs) Right at the tip of your nose Oh, that's just a few hairs that were blown out of place in this hopped-up pie plate of yours How do I look otherwise? Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I thought you were more
17: beautiful without all that stuff. I mean, well, gosh, with your natural beauty, you could have been a famous stage actress or even a model or a big movie star. I've often wondered what made you become a school teacher anyway? I
16: couldn't resist the money. me home from Antoine's, and as my new bangs and I entered the front door, my landlady, Mrs. Davis, came out of the living room.
20: Hello, Mrs. Davis. Oh, how do you do, madam? If you're looking for Miss Brooks, she isn't in. I'm her landlady. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe I can refresh your memory. Good morning, Mrs. Davis. I can't pay the rent till next week. Connie Brooks, where in the world did you get that makeup? Antoine's beauty parlor. You didn't leave much there, did you? (laughs) Although I suppose it is attractive to a male. By the way, has he called? Mr. Boynton, you mean? Not this morning, Connie. And I know why you didn't get any calls last night either. Why? I discovered our phone wasn't working. But I fixed it about an hour ago. You fixed it? Yes, I went downtown and paid the bill.
2: (laughs) You know, Connie,
20: as one gets used to your new look, it's not half
16: bad. Well, I should hope not. After spending three hours in a hot booth, at least I can expect... I'll get it. Hello? Well,
4: hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. I thought I'd better call to ask what time I can pick you up tonight. I wouldn't want to barge in without giving you ample time to get ready.
16: Oh, you can come over any time, Mr. Boynton. It never takes me more than a few minutes to fix up.
4: Well, then I'll be over about seven. Uh, You know, I tried to reach you several times last night, but your phone was out of order.
16: Yes, I just heard about it.
4: I was quite disappointed when you didn't answer, but while I was combing some new white mice I've acquired, Miss Enright dropped by and asked me if I wanted to go to the movies.
2: What
16: did you do with the other mice?
2: I mean,
16: <laughs> where did you go after the movie? Ice cream parlor?
4: Oh, no, I was full. The popcorn's very good at the Paramount.
16: Yes, I know. Don't they have a slogan that goes, if it's Paramount Picture, it's the best popcorn in town?
4: Well, I don't know about that, Miss Brooks, but this wasn't a Paramount Picture. It was an independent. It was about some girl with a lot of money who wants her sweetheart to quit being a poor songwriter and work in her father's doorknob factory. <laughs>
2: Does he?
4: No, but he writes a big hit song after they separate. And when he's got as much money as her father, he asks her to marry him again. And this time she says yes.
16: I can't understand it.
4: Me either. You ought to see the girl this fellow proposes to. She's got two inches of makeup on and she wears bangs. Bangs? (laughs) Bangs? <laughs> the most ridiculous-looking get-up you ever saw. How any man in his right mind could fall for anybody like that would... Well, I won't keep you any longer, Miss Brooks. I'll pick you up at 7. Goodbye.
16: Goodbye. Oh, I wish I hadn't let Walter go home. He could have taken me back to Antoine's.
20: I'll get it, Connie. Well, Osgood good Conklin. How is Madison's handsome principal today? Uh, fine,
21: Margaret, fine. As you know, my wife's preparing all the refreshments for the dance tonight, and she wondered if you'd be kind enough to help her out with a few sandwiches. Why,
20: of course, Osgood. Shall I make the same kind of sandwiches I did last time? White fish and peanut butter?
2: <laughs> oh, no,
21: no, thank you. I've brought something.
20: Hello, things. Mr. Conklin. Miss Brooks has been to the hairdressers, Osgood. Doesn't she look interesting?
21: Well, uh, I really don't know. It's hard to tell. I, I can see you all right, Miss Brooks, but how in the world can you see me?
16: Oh, it's easy, Mr. Conklin. I just blow a little, and there you are. As a matter of fact, I've got to get back to the beauty parlor right away. Do you think you could give me a lift?
21: I suppose so, Miss Brooks. And, Mrs. Davis, you'll find the ingredients for the sandwiches in this package right here.
20: All right, Osgood. I'll get started right away. See you later, Conklin. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis.
21: Well, come along, Miss Brooks. I'll drop you off. White fish and peanut butter?
16: (laughs) As I recall, Mr. Conklin, the beauty parlor's only a couple of blocks past your house, so I won't be taking you too far out of your way.
21: That's perfectly all right, Miss Brooks. I hope you'll forgive me for seeming so taken aback when you first came in, but, well... You did look quite unlike a schoolteacher.
16: Is that bad?
21: On Saturdays, no. In fact, I uh, I rather admire a woman who takes the time to enhance her charms. Confidentially, I've been trying to stampede Mrs. Conklin into a beauty salon for years, but she just can't see it. Doesn't believe in powder, rouge, lipstick, none of the refinements.
16: What does she want with refinements? She's got you. That is, she's uh, got you. <laughs>
21: Excuse me, we're just passing my house. I always honk the horn when I'm in the neighborhood. Gives my wife and daughter a feeling of security. (laughs) But as you just said, Miss Brooks, she's got me. That's the trouble. She doesn't have to patronize beauty shops to hold on to me, and she knows it. Of course, if she had some reason to be jealous of me, she jealous. Miss Brooks, do you think that if Martha were jealous... Oh, pardon me, Mr. I...
16: Conklin, but if you'll just pull up here, this is Antoine's. Where? It's that little building with the dimple in the door. <laughs> Thanks for the lift, Mr. Conklin.
21: You're welcome, Miss Brooks. And we can pursue the topic of my wife's peccadillos at the dance tonight.
16: Oh, definitely. I'm one of the best peccadillo dancers in town. <laughs>
14: Well, that does it, Miss Brooks.
16: Am I completely plain again, Antoine?
14: If you were any plainer, you'd fade right into the woodwork.
20: <laughs> you, I'm home, Mrs. Davis. She should be back any... Oh, wait a minute, she just came in. Come to the phone, Connie, it's Mr. Boynton. Again? I wonder what he wants now.
16: Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Hello?
4: Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Mrs. Davis told me you were at the beauty shop. I was delighted to hear that.
16: Delighted, Mr. Boynton?
4: Yes. You see, I was afraid you might misconstrue my remarks about the girl in the movie and think that I dislike all spectacular hairdressings. Actually, the new styles fascinate me. They do? Yes. (laughs) Uh, What sort of hairdo did you get, Miss Brooks?
16: Well, what I got was more of a hair don't. But, uh, I'm sure you'll like what I'm going to get again, Mr. Boynton.
4: Oh, fine. When we walk into that dance tonight, I want those other teachers to really notice you. I've even bought a brand-new blue serge suit.
16: Do you think it'll fit me?
4: Uh, (laughs) uh, That's a hot one. Uh, I'll see you at seven. Goodbye, Miss Brooks.
16: Goodbye, Mr. Boynton. Well, back to the beauty parlor. You know something, Mrs. Davis? What, Connie? In moments like these, I almost wish I was Mrs. Conklin. What am I saying?
3: I'll have to
21: be going down to the gym now, Martha. I want to see if it's fixed up properly for the dance tonight.
22: Very well, dear. Oh, don't forget the keys to your car. They're on the table in the hall. And, Osgood, I must say the car took a lovely polish. I got a glance at it when you were driving past the house with some woman.
21: Yes. Well, I was just... You saw me driving with some woman, Martha?
22: Yes, dear, I did.
21: Well, there's no need to be jealous, of course, but... She was quite pretty, don't you think?
22: I'm sorry, Osgood. I didn't get a very good look at her. I was carrying some cold cuts at the time.
2: If you
21: must know, she was gorgeous.
22: The cold cuts were quite popular last year.
21: Don't evade the issue, Martha. Who was that woman you saw me with this morning?
2: Oh, I know that. That's a hot one.
21: I repeat, who was that woman, Martha? What
22: woman? Oh, in the car with you. Well, really, Osgood, you drive so many women from the Board of Education around. This one wasn't
21: from the Board of Education. Far from it. Oh,
22: please, dear. You're leaning against the potato salad.
21: (laughs) Why don't you admit it, Martha? You're jealous.
22: Five loaves of white. That should be enough.
21: Martha, I said you were jealous.
22: Yes, dear. Now, where did I put the rye bread?
21: Martha, you're not even listening to me.
22: Hello, Dan. Hello. Oh,
21: sorry. I mean...
3: Hello, Harriet.
22: Harriet, you've been crying. Is something wrong, dear? Oh, everything's wrong. Walter Dan told me he had to pick up Miss Brooks, but when I saw him, he was
23: riding around with some, some creature in fangs. I'm going up to my room now, Mother. And if Walter calls, just tell him I've taken a slow boat to China.
22: All oh, right. No. But after you've brooded a while, please come down and help me find the rye bread. Oh.
21: Now there's a girl who will make some man a fine wife. Insanely jealous.
22: Oh, no. <laughs> here's a rivalry! I do hope I win the door prize this year.
21: Don't think I'm past noticing pulchritude, Martha. I'm still just a boy at heart. Do you know why I gave that other woman a lift in my car? Because she'd just come from the beauty shop. You hear me, Martha? I was bedazzled. If it hadn't been for all the powder and that store bought hair. That
22: man of mine wouldn't have gone nowhere, nowhere.
21: So, oh, what's the use?
14: <laughs> Hello again, Miss Brooks. Attila, prepare booth number four. And now then, Miss Brooks, you said on the phone you wanted something fascinating, so I've decided to give you the famous Antoine Marcel.
16: Is it really exciting, Antoine?
14: Exciting? This is the very same coiffure I copied hair by hair from gorgeous George.
16: <laughs> Fine. Just give it to me, and then I'll wrestle you for the bill. <laughs>
4: Well, this ought to be a very successful dance, Miss Brooks. Quite a few people in the gym.
16: Yes, indeed, Mr. Boynton. And at the sound of the next voice, there will be one people too many.
4: Oh,
18: There you are. Good evening, Mr. Boynton.
4: Uh, good evening, Miss Enright.
18: The next number is a waltz, Mr. Boynton. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes, and I'm just dying to waltz. Well, you do that. Mr. Boynton and I will be right behind you. <laughs>
4: Look who just came in. It's Mrs. Conklin, isn't it?
18: Oh, yes, but in a backless evening gown and an upswept hairdo. And
4: I thought I was overdone.
16: Alongside of Mrs. Conklin, I look like Carrie Nation after a bad night.
2: <laughs>
22: <laughs> hello, everyone. Oh,
4: good evening, Mrs. Conklin. Hello,
22: Mrs. Conklin. Don't let me scare you. I, I got myself up like this to teach Osgood a lesson. <laughs> I wonder what he'll say when he sees me. Well, you won't have to wait long to find out. He's coming over now.
21: Uh, hello, folks. I've... Oh, I see. We have a newcomer in our midst, and a, a very charming one at that. Osgood Conklin at your service, Miss, uh, Miss... Uh...
22: It's Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Conklin.
21: Well, I'm delighted to make your...
2: <laughs> Mrs.
21: Conklin!
22: Hello, Osgood.
21: My! What in the world? Your hair, you... Well, if that is... Your face is... Of all the... You look lovely, my dear. I'm going to have every dance with you tonight. Oh, Boynton. Oh, yes, Mr. Conklin? I'd like you to take over my duties as host at the front door, if you please. Oh, but, sir, Miss
4: Brooks and I will. To the door, to... Boynton. The... Yes, sir.
21: Come along, Martha. If it hadn't been for powder and that store-bought hair
3: I wouldn't
16: have... Oh, Miss Enright. Yes, Miss Brooks? Shall we dance? (laughs) Well, Mr. Boynton got away from the door just in time to ask me for the last half of the last dance.
4: You look lovely tonight, Miss Brooks. I feel I put you into a lot of trouble today.
16: Oh, it was nothing. Of course, I did lose about five pounds, but it was mostly around the scalp.
21: Attention. Attention, please. Ladies and gentlemen of the faculty, it is my pleasure at this time to announce the winner of the door prize. She is none other than our Miss Brooks. Congratulations, Miss Brooks.
16: Thank you, Mr. Conklin.
21: I know you're all anxious to find out what the door prize is. Well, I have here a ticket, Miss Brooks, entitling you to one free treatment at Antoine's Beauty Parlour.
16: <laughs> Mr. Conklin, would you tell me one thing?
21: What's that, Miss Brooks?
16: Is this for putting on or taking off?
15: <laughs> Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Mary Jane Croft, Frank Nelson, and Margaret McDonald. or mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lemon speaking. This week marks the 37th anniversary of the Girl Scouts, and the Colgate Pete Company takes this opportunity to wish a very happy birthday to all Girl Scouts of America, whose fine program trains the girls of today to be better citizens in the world of tomorrow. This is CBS, the
10: Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: That was Our Miss Brooks, as originally heard, on March the 6th, 1949 on CBS. The name of that episode was The Faculty Dance. Our Miss Brooks was a hit on the radio uh, from the time it premiered, uh, it, it, within just a few months after it was launched, the show received a number of honors, and Eve Arden uh, won four different individual polls, magazine polls, as the uh, favorite, uh, favorite actress. Actually, Eve Arden was not originally scheduled to play Connie Brooks. She was actually the third choice. Harry Ackerman, who at the time was the um, director of programming on the West Coast for CBS, He wanted Shirley Booth to play the part, but he later told uh, Gerald Notchman in one of his books, you can read about this, that uh, he realized that Shirley Booth was too focused on the underpaid downside of public school teaching at the time. She apparently was very politically active, and so she couldn't have had any fun with the role. Then they were going to offer the role to Lucille Ball, but she was already committed to um, the show My Favorite Husband. And so the third choice was made by Chairman Bill Paley of CBS, who was very good friends with Eve Arden, and he persuaded her to audition for the part. The show originally called for uh, Gail Gordon to play Mr. Conklin as the president of the um, school board, but they made some adjustments in the original script and made Mr. Conklin the principal of Madison High School, and I'm glad they did. Such an outstanding show. R Miss Brooks. Nice clear quality uh, on a lot of the R Miss Brooks uh, sound quality on the on the R Miss Brooks shows. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play a number of them. I remember in college, uh, I'd been out of high school, I think maybe two years and I was going to a local college. I needed a part-time job and the Board of Education in Long Beach uh, had some jobs as uh, janitors uh, part-time. And you, it was kind of neat because you could call in. you were a substitute and you could you could call in. And this was a large school district, so whenever there was a janitor out, you could call in and say, I'd I like to work tonight, and, and they'd almost always have a job for you. It was pretty cool, especially when you're going to school. Didn't pay too badly, I guess, for a part-time job, better than, you know, working at Taco Bell or something uh, at the time. At any rate, I remember, ironically, being assigned one day, horror of horrors, to my old high school. And here I was only uh, uh, two years out of high school, Long Beach Poly High School. And I was assigned to a section of the school that had the uh, drama department. And I was surprised to find that they actually had a radio workshop. that was an advanced course for uh, probably second or third year drama students. And I was amazed. I would have loved to have gotten in that. I didn't know anything about it. They never, never talked about it. But I was up there cleaning it and I noticed they had a number of, scri- of scripts sitting out. And they were for the R. Miss Brooks show. Now, I knew R. Miss Brooks from television, but I didn't even know there was a radio show of R. Miss Brooks. And I remember sitting and reading one of those scripts as I ate my lunch and laughing out loud. It was so well written. They, the school had received permission to use actual scripts from the R. Miss Brooks show. And they actually uh, did the show, the radio show, uh, reenacted it. With um, kids from the drama department, and it played over the public school station, which could be heard any place in Long Beach. What a what a cool class! Never knew anything about it. So anyway, that's my that's my arm Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, I want to settle down now and get serious just for a minute. As baby boomers, we often find ourselves um, reminiscing. I guess it's, it's a natural thing to do. We often will look back and think about raising our families. Most of us have adult children now, so we've been empty nesters for some time. I've got a nice little email from a um, listener out in Phoenix, Arizona. Her name is Millie, and Millie asked me if I would play a song for her by Trace Adkins that really tugged at her heartstrings. And normally, I only play songs from our era, but because of the subject matter, of this song I thought it was very appropriate. It's really, a, really a good song. I had never, never heard it before. And then I'd like to follow it up with a poem that, uh, that she sent. So here's Trace Atkins. Listen to the lyrics. The name of this song is You're Going to Miss This.
11: She was staring out the window of the SUV. Complaining, saying, I can't wait to turn 18 She said, I'll make my own money And I'll make my own rules Mama put the car and park out there in front of the school And she kissed her head And said, I was just like you You're gonna miss this You're gonna want this back Gonna wish these days Hadn't gone by so fast These are some good times So take a good look around You may not know it now But you're gonna miss this Before she knows it She's a brand new bride In her one-bedroom apartment And her daddy stops by He tells her it's a nice place She says, it'll do for now Starts talking about babies And buying a house Daddy shakes his head And says, baby, just slow down Cause you're gonna miss this You're gonna want this back, you're gonna wish these days, hadn't gone by so fast, these are some good times, so take a good look around, you may not know it now, but you're gonna miss this. Working on the water heater Dogs barking, phones ringing One kid's crying, one kid's screaming And she keeps apologizing He says they don't bother me I've got two babies of my own One's 36, one's 23 (laughs) It's hard to believe But you're gonna miss this You're gonna want this back gonna wish these days hadn't gone by so fast these are some good times so take a good look
0: that a nice song? That's Trace Atkins. My, what a great message. And it's so true. It's so true. Along with that song request, Millie sent us a, a poem. This is a poem that I've seen kicked around the internet over the last several months. So maybe you've seen it. But it's something that I think if we read it together, that it might, uh, might kind of reflect what we're, what we're feeling. It's called The Last Time. From the moment you first held your new baby in your arms, you knew your life was never going to be the same. You might have longed for the life you had before when you had freedom, more time, and very few things to worry about. But you soon found that being a parent took up that time. And it made you tired. Tired in a way that you never knew before. At times it may have seemed that each day was exactly the same filled with feedings and burpings, endless diaper changes and crying. Oh, the crying. Soon came the seemingly nonstop whining, the fighting, the naps, the lack of naps. At times it seemed like you were on a treadmill going nowhere, a never-ending cycle. Now, however, looking back, you realize that there was a last time For each one of those important events in the development of your child. There was a meal that you spooned into your baby's mouth that ended up being the last meal you ever hand-fed him. Or there was the time your daughter fell asleep on the sofa after a long and exhausting day. You didn't know it then, but that was the last time you were to pick her up and carry her off to bed. One day you were carrying your son on your hip, not realizing that when you set him down, you would never pick him up that way again. One night you washed your daughter's hair in the bath, but the next night she wanted to bathe alone. There was a last time that your son reached for your hand to hold it as you crossed the street together. The next day, He didn't do it, and he never did it again. Remember how your daughter would climb into your bed in the morning, wanting hugs and snuggling with you until you woke up? You didn't realize that last time that she would never do that again. Or how about the one day your daughter squealed in delight as you sang Itsy Bitsy Spider, and then suddenly she didn't? Do you remember the last time the two of you shared that song? Do you recall how your son would always kiss you goodbye at the school gate? Do you remember the last time? Do you remember the day he wanted to walk into the school all alone? Yes, there was a last time for everything. There was a last bedtime story. There was a last time you washed his dirty face. A last time that She ran to your outstretched arms the last time you were asked to kiss an ouchie. Sadly, most parents don't realize that these things are happening for the last time until the last times have passed, and there are no more times. And even then, it takes time for the realization to set in. So if you're still living with these moments, cherish them because they are fleeting when they're gone they're gone and they're gone forever and then like the rest of us you'll wish that you could have them back just one last time where are
12: you going my little And
0: appreciate the sentiment it's time for gunsmoke now oh! you hear that music aren't you instantly transported back to Dodge City, Kansas the year is 1874 and you are walking up Front Street shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon over there is Kitty Russell Doc Adams and Chester Proudfoot. yes everybody it is time for Gunsmoke boy do we have a good one for you today This one originally aired on June the 4th in 1955. It has a one-word title. It's Jealousy. And this is really a good, good episode. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one, and here it comes right now. By the way, the sound on this one is really outstanding.
23: Boom, well, Hello, Chester.
1: Well, Miss
23: Kitty.
9: What are you doing in here this time of day?
1: I found me a dollar, Miss Kitty, and I thought I'd run it up at Barrow this afternoon so I'd have some real money to gamble with tonight.
9: Oh, now that's what I call thinking ahead.
1: Well, man's got to take a chance once in a while, else he won't never amount to nothing.
9: Well, you got your mind made up. I won't argue with you.
1: It, W- would you come stand by me? <laughs> Maybe give me a little luck?
9: <laughs> sure.
22: I got a feeling it won't take long.
1: Oh, Jack Davis is the only man playing there. We'll have plenty of room.
9: It isn't room
1: you need, Chester. Hey,
9: hmm?
1: who's that dealer? I never seen him before.
9: Uh, new man, Ronnie Pike.
1: I don't like his looks.
9: You never mind him. You watch the cards. Get pods.
24: your hand off them chips, Pike. You're lost, isn't you lost, didn't you? I had him on the seven. You moved him. I did not. More trouble. I told you to get your hand off my I'm warning you, Pike. Here now, you, you fellas can settle this without no fight. You stay out of it, mister. I'm taking these chips, Davis. Oh, no, you ain't. You better come up with a gun in your other hand. Now, draw, Davis. You ain't gonna shoot me. Get that knife out of my hand. Get it out. Quit fumbling for your gun. I quit. I quit.
1: Look, pull that knife out of there, Davis. Go on, pull it.
24: Yeah, that'll learn him. Hand. You've torn up my hand. If
8: you go for your gun again, I'll tear up more than your hand, Pike.
3: I mean it, I'll open up your throat. Hold it, Davis. What are you busting in for, Marshal? Shoot him, Marshal. Shut up. Shoot him. You lay that knife on the table, Davis. Go on, do it. I ain't gonna fight you. All right, pick it up, Chester.
24: Yes, sir. Why didn't you shoot him, Marshal? you seen what he done to me.
3: Now, I'll take your gun, Pike. Where is it?
24: In my pocket there. I wasn't going to use it. I was only scaring him. It's a lie. That's right, Mr. Dillon. Pike went for his gun before Davis pulled that knife. That's no cause to pin my hand to the table. It's all tore up. It's ruined. And you're letting him get by with it, Marshal. You won't even shoot him. You'll pay for this by heaven. I'll get even with you. You
3: can bleed to death while you're standing here talking, Pike. You better go see Doc before you do anything.
24: I'll go. But you'll see, Marshal. You and Davis both. You'll see.
3: After Pike left, I got the whole story from Chester and Kitty. And although Davis had acted in self-defense, I, I didn't care much for knife men. So I ran him out of town on general principles. Had to run Pike out, too. But the next day, he left on his own accord. And that's the last I heard of him for some time. A month went by and I forgot about the whole thing Until the day Chester brought word that an old friend of mine A gambler called Cam Durbin had come to town And he wanted to
1: see me at the Dodge House Durbin seems like a real nice fellow, Mr. Dillon His wife's nice, too His wife? Wasn't he married when you knew him?
3: Well, I haven't seen Cam in a long while, Chester I think he's been over in Wichita all this time
1: Yes, she has. That's what he said. They come on the Santa Fe this noon. Here they are, sitting in the lobby.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah she's a pretty girl, isn't
1: she? Yes, she sure is. Awful pretty.
19: Oh,
8: here he is, Dylan. He's Matt Dillon.
3: Hello, Cam. <laughs> it's good to see you. Marshal Dillon, huh? Yeah, it's not much of a job, but at least they eat regular. Here, I I want you to meet my wife, Tilda. I'm glad to know you, ma'am.
23: It's Tilda, Marshal. How do you do?
8: Well, you surprised to see me married, Matt? Well, a man can get married, I guess. Sure he can. If you left that gun off, maybe some woman would have you. Yeah,
3: you used to be pretty handy with a gun yourself, Cam. I had to be. Yeah.
8: But that's over, Matt. I've gambled honest ever since my wedding day. The promise I made to Tilda.
23: It was his only fault, Marshal. Outside of being the most jealous man I ever met. Oh, now, Tilda. It's true, you know it.
8: Tell me, Cam, what are you doing to dodge? Oh, I'm going to run a Pharaoh table at the Long Branch, Matt. I made a deal by mail with the owner there. Oh, Sam Nolan? Yeah, yeah. I give him a percentage, but it's my game and I run it. I don't aim to get rich no more, Matt. Just make an honest living.
1: Mr. Dillon. Yeah, what, Chester? Look who's here.
24: Oh. He's seen you. Yeah. Marshal, I want to talk to you.
3: Uh, Why don't you come by the office later, Pike? I'm busy right now.
24: You're busy, huh? Well, I ain't. Nobody'll hire me. I've been all over. Look at that hand. Can't deal with that hand. They say I'm too slow. I'm starving to death, Marshal. Why don't you look
3: for some other kind of work?
24: I want no other work. Gambling's all I know. You're a troublemaker, Pike.
3: I don't know why I want you and Dodge anyway.
24: Troublemaker, huh? Well, I'll make you more trouble you ever thought of if you don't help me. Get out of here,
8: Pike. Uh, Wait a minute. I don't know what this is all about, but I'll give him a job. No, Cam. Well, I can understand why a gambler don't want to give up his
24: trade. You a dealer, mister?
8: I want a faro game at the Long Branch. You can deal in my off hour. You mean it? I won't stand for cheating. First time out, you go. Well, I wouldn't cheat nobody. I promise. Come in tonight. I'll talk to you then. Sure. Thank you, Mister.
24: I'll be there tonight. It's the a good thing for Marshal Dillon. There's one decent man in this town.
3: That was a mistake, Cam.
8: You don't want him sneaking around, waiting to shoot you in the back, do you? How to handle that? Sure, but it's easier this way. I don't care if he is a slow dealer; he can at least keep the game running. Pike's no good, Cam. He'll cause you trouble, sure.
3: Why should he try to hurt me? Because you're a friend of mine. <laughs>
8: you're too suspicious of people. <laughs> Maybe. Well, what could he do to me anyway? I'm clean. I only got one weakness, man. Oh? Tilda here. Cam. She's sure right about my being jealous. Well,
3: don't get too close to Lonnie Pike. It isn't only me he doesn't like, Cam. It's everybody. After a week or two passed and nothing happened, I began to think maybe Cam was right about my being too suspicious. For a while, he joked me a lot about it. And then I began to notice a change come over him. Wasn't anything I could put my finger on. But sometimes I'd find him looking at me, and when I'd look back, he'd turn away or start studying his hands. It was like he had something on his mind that he was ashamed of. I wanted to ask him about it, but I figured he'd tell me when he got ready. And he almost did one night at Delmonico's. Doc and I had finished supper and were sitting there talking when Tilda walked us.
23: Evening, Marshal.
1: Yeah. Doc. Well, hello, Tilda.
2: Uh,
3: Won't you have a chair, Tilda? Oh,
23: thanks, Marshal.
3: Ah. Ah. Well, where's Cam?
23: I'm waiting for him. He told me to meet him at six o'clock. Huh?
3: Well, you can have our table. We're all through. Oh,
23: <laughs> I thought maybe you hadn't started yet.
3: Well, Doc likes to eat early. <laughs> I guess he's afraid there won't be anything left if he isn't the first in line.
1: Oh, anything. Oh, now, that's a lie, of course. I eat early because I get hungry early.
23: Sounds like a simple enough reason. Yeah, and also
1: because I like to go to bed early. When I can, mm-hmm. like tonight. So, if you'll excuse me.
3: I'll stay with Tilda till Cam
23: shows up, Doc. Fine, fine. Goodbye, Tilda. Bye, Doc. Hello, Pike.
1: Hello.
23: That's funny. Oh, what? Lonnie Pike just stood there, took a look at us, and then left.
3: <laughs> oh, Pike doesn't exactly approve of me, I'm I afraid.
23: don't like him, Marshal. I wish Cam had never hired him.
3: Well, he hasn't caused any trouble so far.
23: I wouldn't trust him any further than I would a Yankee.
3: <laughs> well, I guess you couldn't put it much stronger than that, could oh.
23: you? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Well, I just naturally thought you were from the South, Marshal. Oh,
3: well, you can't offend me, Tilda. I've lived almost everywhere.
23: So has Cam, I swear, I get the idea. Sometimes he couldn't have spent more than a night in any one spot he'd been so many places.
3: <laughs> Cam was quite a wanderer before he met you.
23: Well, he worries me sometimes, Marshal.
3: Oh? Why is that?
23: Oh, I can't tell you now.
3: What?
8: Oh, hello, Cam. What are you doing here, Tilda? What? I said, what are you doing here?
23: Oh, I'm waiting for you. That's so? Of course it's so. What are you talking about?
8: Well, you're supposed to be waiting for me at the Alacrán.
23: Oh, my goodness. I guess I wasn't listening. I just naturally thought you said Delmonico. Uh-huh.
8: Oh, well, Cam, now that you've found her, why don't you sit on? I'll be at the Alacrán, Tilda, when you're finished.
23: Cam... Don't worry, Marshal I'll explain it to him
3: Tilda followed Cam out the door And I sat there watching him And feeling pretty helpless about the whole thing I'd seen jealousy before And I knew what it could do to a man But somehow I'd never been mixed up in it personally And I didn't like it, now that I was. But I figured the only thing to do was forget it. And I did. Until the next day. It was long about dusk, and I was riding back to Dodge from a trip I had to make out to the Chatsworth place. At the edge of town, I caught up with two other riders, Kitty and Tilda. So I rode along with them.
9: I'll bet we've been 20 miles this afternoon, Matt.
3: Well, it's good for you to get out once in a while, Kitty. <laughs>
23: it's good for me, too. If I had my way, I'd never go near a town.
3: Well, why don't you make Cam buy you ranch? All that money he's winning <laughs> every night. Oh,
23: what would Cam do on a ranch? All he knows is cards and guns. Guns? I didn't think Cam ever wore a gun. Well, he doesn't anymore, Kitty. I made him stop. But he's awful good with one just the same.
3: Yeah, he is. I've seen him.
23: Oh, say, I forgot. I told Ma Riley I'd
9: stop by and say hello today. That's their house there. Uh, why don't you go on ahead with Matt, Hilda?
23: Well, I think I will, Kitty. I'm kind of tired. I'll see you later. Sure, Kitty. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, Kitty. She's a wonderful girl, Marshal. Yeah. Well, that's not the most enthusiastic response I ever heard. Uh.
3: I'm sorry, Tilda. I, uh, I was just thinking about yesterday at uh, Delmonico's.
23: Oh, Cam was upset about something, Marshal. It had nothing to do with you and me. Is that so? No, that isn't so. You know it.
3: It Shames you when he acts like that, doesn't it?
23: Yes, but he doesn't always act like that.
3: No, of course not. Oh, look. There he is, waiting for you.
23: And Pike.
3: Yeah. Oh, Pike's leaving.
23: Good. Hello, Cam.
3: How are you, Cam?
23: (laughs) We sure had a long ride. Nearly 20 miles, Kitty said.
8: Kitty said.
23: Oh, well, she stopped off to see somebody up the street there.
8: She did, huh?
23: Why, <laughs> Cam, you don't think I've been out riding with the marshal, do you?
8: Why shouldn't I?
23: Well, we ran into him on the edge of town, that's all. Oh, Cam.
8: Uh, I'll take
3: your horse over to the stable for you, Tilda. No, you won't.
8: I'll take it. All right, Cam.
23: Why don't you ask Kitty if you don't believe us? She'd
8: lie. She'd have to for her own pride. Look, Cam.
3: I want to ask you something. Go ahead. Who's been working on you? Who's been putting all this in your head? I got my own eyes. You sure you aren't using Lonnie Pike's?
23: Pike? Of course. That's who's been doing it. It's true, isn't it, Cam?
8: Pike has nothing to do with this. Now
23: you're lying. You won't admit it, will you? You're too ashamed to admit it.
8: I don't need anybody to tell me what's plain as day. Matt? Yeah? Next time we meet, I'm going to be wearing a gun.
23: No! No! I won't stand for this. I
8: didn't start it, Tilda.
23: No, Pike started it.
2: I'm going to my room.
8: She's right, Cam. I warned you about him with my wife. I'm going to come looking for you, Matt. I'm going to kill you. Ah, you're a fool, Cam. I'll feel less like a fool when you're dead. Where'll you be, Matt?
3: I'm easy to find... going under the long branch, and I'm going to get Pike, and I'm going to make him face it out with Cam, and if he won't talk, I'll twist him till he does. Uh, That's the
1: only way to do it, I guess. Hey, wasn't that Cam's wife just went in there?
3: Huh? Oh, I wasn't looking, Chester. Well,
1: I was, and I know it was her. Now, what would she be doing in the long branch?
3: I don't know. Come on,
1: Look, she's gone and shot Lonnie Pike.
3: Give me the gun, Tilda.
23: Take it, Marshal.
3: Why did you do this?
23: I had to.
1: He ain't dead, Mr. Dillon.
3: I'll get some help and carry him over to docks, Chester.
1: Yes, sir. Hey, a couple of you men give me a hand here, will you?
3: I've got to arrest you, Tilda. Of
23: course. I shot him, didn't I? Let's go. It's Cam. He's wearing a gun.
3: Don't you say a word to him. Let me do the talking. What happened? There's nothing to worry about, Cam. He's taking you to jail. I said there's nothing to worry about.
2: Archie!
23: <gasps> <gasps> Why'd you do that? Why'd you hit him?
3: I need a couple of more men over here. Well, at least you'll have some company now, Tilda. Well, how's
1: Pike doing, Mr. Dillon?
3: Uh, Doc will let us know when he knows.
23: And at least he isn't dead.
3: No, Tilda. Not yet, anyway.
23: I had to do it, Marshal.
3: Chester. Yes, sir. Go get Cam out of that cell. Bring him yes. in here, huh? Yes, sir. Marshal Dillon wants Cam.
23: They hang me, Marshal.
3: No, Tilda, they won't hang him. But you might be in prison a long time.
8: Good thing you hit me, Matt. Yeah. I'd have killed you otherwise. I'd never have let you take Tilda to jail. She shot a man, Cam. I don't care. If he dies, she'll go to prison. Why'd you do it, Tilda? Why?
23: Don't you know?
8: You shouldn't have done it. You didn't have to.
23: I figured I had to.
8: But why?
23: Because of you, Cam.
8: I don't know what you mean.
23: If you really don't know what I mean, then I shot Lonnie Pike for nothing. Isn't that so, Marshal?
3: I think I understand, Tilda.
8: It ain't true about you two, is it? Well, is it? I guess
3: you'll have to answer that for yourself, Cam.
8: Pike kept saying all those things. He was after me every minute, now I think of it, every chance he got. Yeah, Pike's quite a talker. He told me you were sitting there at Delmonico's. And today, when we saw you riding up Front Street, well, that seemed to prove everything else he'd been saying. That'd
3: be a poor way to court another man's wife, wouldn't it? Right out in the open like that? Yeah.
8: Yeah, it would. Of course it wouldn't. Now, why didn't I think of that?
23: Jealousy doesn't allow a man to think, Cam.
8: He wouldn't have been taking you to dinner or riding out with you like that, now, would he? It don't make sense. It don't make no sense at all.
23: Of course it doesn't.
8: I'm ashamed, to. I'm an awful fool.
23: Being ashamed won't hurt you, providing you remember it next time you start thinking that way.
8: It's all clear to me now. I promise you, Tilda, it'll never happen again.
23: Shooting Lonnie Pike was the only way I could bring you to your senses.
8: You picked a mighty rough way.
23: I'd rather go to prison than live the way we were, camp.
8: Matt, do you have to keep her? I have to keep
3: her even if Pike doesn't die. But mm-hmm. maybe the judge will understand.
8: Guess how to... Tell you, I'm sorry, Matt, about thinking what I did. There's no need, Cam. Thank you. Oh, Matt. Doc, how is he, Doc? Tell me, is he dead? No, no, he isn't dead. It looks like he isn't going to be.
12: Oh, damn, Matt.
8: He's a mighty sick man eh? Huh? You shoot pretty straight, Tilda. Never
3: mind that, Doc. Just go on back and patch him up.
8: Well, that's going to take a few weeks,
3: man. I'll get him all as fast as you can. I think Lonnie Pike's going to be leaving Dodge as soon as he can travel. Mm -hmm.
19: By Norman McDonald stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Virginia Gregg, Harry Bartell, and Don Diamond. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. You'll also enjoy Chesterfield's great radio shows. Barry Como sings all the top tunes on CBS Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Jack Webb stars in Dragnet on Tuesday nights. Check your local listings. Listen to Gunsmoke again next week, transcribed for L&M Filters.
0: 4th, 1955, Gunsmoke and Jealousy. Hope you enjoyed that one. Wasn't the sound quality excellent on that? I told you you'd enjoy that story. Very good. It's a little bit of a strange ending. All right, listen, before we, before we wrap things up, here's one more tune that was uh, was pretty popular. This was, I think, around 1961, 62, that is somewhat religious in theme. This was a big big hit. See if you remember this.
13: He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. In his hands. He's got the whole whole Got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole. He's got you and me, sister In his hands He's got you and me, brother
0: London, and he's got the whole world in his hands. A big hit back in the early 60s. All right, it's time to gather all our shows up and take them back into the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. We'll be back again next time with a whole new slate of shows. Chester is chaping at the bit. He's standing there with his, his hand on the knobs to close things down so he can get out of here and go to his Oscar party. Now, you might be wondering, why would they have an Oscar party in St. Louis? Well, they... They have Oscar watching parties and people get all dressed up and tuxes and have catered affairs and that's where Chester's going tonight. And you have a date, Chester? Ah! There is a young lady that he is escorting. We'll have to find out more about that next week. Well, all right, everybody. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by. And I'm so glad you met me.